Hello and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 99 for the week of November 30th, 2020. I'm Mike McComb and I'm joined today by Ben Smith. Hey Ben. Hey Mike. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. And this week, we'll be talking about the history of the Festivali e Congas. How's it going, Ben? You know, it's pretty good, Mike. How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. It was my first time doing a Thanksgiving meal, and my recipes turned out okay. There, there, nice. weren't, any, there weren't any disasters. I was, I was quite proud of that. How, how was yours? Um, it was good. Like, it was nice doing a much smaller Thanksgiving, and like, the nice thing about for the first year of like not doing a Friendsgiving mm-hmm. at all is that I have had so many leftovers, and it's been great. Yes. Yeah, I did not have to cook for the rest of the weekend. Uh, we still have a couple of things in the fridge. It's like some leftover mm-hmm. cranberry sauce and some potatoes and stuff. So little yeah, things thing. to I have, snack on. But I have so many mashed potatoes right now, but like mm. everything else is like slowly getting depleted. Nice. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm at the point now where it's like I need to find like some sort of salad or something to counteract mm-hmm. all this. Yeah, oh, yeah. Just like my immediate. It's like, OK, I need I need like a green vegetable. Yes. Uh, um, yeah. And then on on Sunday, while walking around doing errands near me, uh, so Cambridge and and Somerville have wild turkeys that do mm. because in the seventies they tried to repopulate the turkey population, which was getting depleted. And now there are some. Now we have city turkeys who do not who who will just absolutely mess up your 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 day. And they're but they're also delightful. And uh-huh. I while while walking around and doing errands near Harvard. Uh, one of them popped out of Harvard, Harvard Yard as though to say, hello, I lived. Wow. Like, are these pets or? No, no. These are wild turkeys. They're they're wild, wild. Okay. They, wow. they are, they are huh. wild turkeys and they just will. And like, it, it was like the Harvard version of a celebrity sighting. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Take like that, that, Harvard. That, that, like, <laughs> like, that, like that is what you, maybe you will see Tyra Banks doing that one business program that takes a weekend. Maybe you'll mm. see a turkey. Yeah. Can you tell the difference? Let us know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. And yeah, there's been so much news in the last couple of weeks. Like, I'm kind of surprised at how much Mm -hmm. organizational stuff has happened. Um, Yeah, a lot of uh, 2021 contest updates uh, just kind of came like a fire hose after our last episode. So uh, they have decided to use the semifinal allocations that were drawn for this year's contest and have them carry over to next year. All of that organizational stuff has made my life easier. As oh my gosh, like the, yeah, like, the, like the the ESC hit copy paste, and so did we in the in our little in our little back end. And like at first when I saw the news, and I think this was just because of uh, love shine a light in May. Or it's like, but how do we know that Ukraine's going to send a fun closer again? Because mm. they had given us like the the theoretical lineups. But it's like, no, no, uh, it's just it's just the drawing. So it's just the halves of the semifinals, which makes so much sense. Like, it, it doesn't. Like, you did that once. You don't need to do it again. Right. It makes sense not to have a kind of unnecessary ceremony and getting a whole bunch of people into a crowded space like that just seems like a really bad idea right now it does like honestly just like re-air the clip with like a fun little chiron that says we taped this in 2019 it's fine Mm -hmm. it's fine each half of the semifinal already figured out and then uh the netherlands will stay in slot 23 uh that was drawn in i think was at the march delegation meeting uh for netherlands position uh in the grand final 
Uh, the other auto qualifiers will stay with their assigned semifinals. So uh, another another big organizational aspect of this is if you have tickets, like you don't have to worry about reticketing. And I think that was probably one of the biggest issues. I think they're still trying to figure out the ticket situation because we don't mm-hmm. know if it's going to be like what plan they're going forward with. But uh, yeah, like I think they're doing a great job of eliminating as many potential headaches ahead of time. Mm-hmm. In terms of the various plans that are in play, uh, they've also revealed what their plan is for any sort of remote broadcast if they do have to do Plan C or Plan D. Uh, That's where uh, a delegation—well, Plan C is the one where the individual delegations will film their performance remotely, um, and then Plan D is where everybody is remote. And they've released what some of the guidelines are going to be for those uh, recordings, and it's— a little bit more stringent than I was expecting, which is which is kind of funny. The session where the recording takes place is a 60-minute studio session, and you can do up to three takes. And the head of delegation must be present during this recording time. So uh, you pretty much have like one shot to try to get your performance squared away. So make, make sure that all of the rehearsals are taken care of, all of that. Um, and then uh, the... Individual broadcasters will be in consultation with the Dutch broadcasters to make sure that the tech standards are uh, the same, any special setups that need to happen, particularly if there are going to be any graphics or VR, AR trickery added into the performance, uh, because that's, that's the other thing. There's not supposed to be anything extra in the performance, so no audience. Uh, no visual effects, no confetti, no drone shots, no water, and no green screen. They are trying to set just sort of like the most level playing field they can. Everybody mm-hmm. gets an hour. Everybody's studio is is set up as relatively similar, similar to if everybody can be on the stage. Everybody has access to the same elements. Exactly. Yes. And um, also, since not every country is doing a national final, you can't use the national final performance as your performance. You can still use the same stage. You just can't use that specific performance of it. Like any audience would have to go home. Like it's all the confetti swept up, all of that. But um, yeah. And then the performances have to be delivered by the end of March, which I'm guessing is in conjunction with the head of delegation meeting that happens in March, where they hand over the songs and the stage plans anyway. So I think it's just one more element that is part of that package. <laughs> just just one more thing on that drive, just sort of an MPEG file of the performance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the performances are not to be published before May. We'll see how uh, leaks happen between march and may uh hopefully there's security in that but we'll we'll see what happens we'll see how that goes (laughs) a fire hose spray of logistics has happened and then we are starting to get little bits and pieces of of artists including like a few more artists and in one case a song announcement Mm -hmm. the big one that popped up cyprus uh is going to be sending elena sencrinu who will be singing el diablo Elena was a semifinalist on Greece Got Talent and the backstage host for The Voice of Greece back in 2016. Uh, she's previously been part of a band Other View and went solo in 2018. The song is expected in March, which does not surprise me. Uh, so, yeah. It's just like, we're going to have 20 songs drop in March. Uh, yeah, it's going to probably be the absolute last day. So um, mm-hmm. kind of dreading that episode. <laughs> yeah, just like, just like apologies in advance. 
for the episode where Mike and I have literally heard the songs five minutes before we tape, but everybody is going to drop them on the same day. Yes. All of our critiques will be in haiku. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So, uh, (laughs) one of them is just going to be me screaming. Yes. Um, (laughs) uh, but anyways, Cyprus is not messing around this year. Mm Uh, but the songwriters on the song worked on She Got Me, so Switzerland 2019 did very well. You Let Me Walk Alone, Germany 2018 did very well. And Only Teardrops, Denmark 2013 did very well. I just love when they drop all of this information. Like, the production designer is the same person who did Conchita staging. So again, not messing around. On the other hand, with that list, though, is I feel like sometimes you'll see movies that'll just be like, from the producer of Get Out. Mm. Where it's like... Okay, that but yes, you you gave money to that thing and it did very well. But Jordan Peele wrote that. That's a different person. And also, just dropping all of this information in November, but then just being like, oh yeah, we're you're not going to hear any of it for like another four months. Be like, but I want to hear El Diablo now. Yeah, like you can't tell me that the song is like <laughs> just announce the artist and just like sit on the fact that you've got this song called El Diablo. Just like tease me that in like february and be like hello we're cypress again we have come we've we are playing to win here's our list of songwriters and the song is called el diablo yeah yeah like i mean particularly with this season where it's just like it does seem like everything is going to be happening at the last minute like just trickle Mm -hmm. out like just drop some breadcrumbs yeah drop some breadcrumbs because like as we record it is not yet december anyways cypress is very excited they it feels like they're playing to win yeah yeah, and I think Bulgaria is also playing to win. Uh, Victoria uh, released a new single in the last couple of weeks called Ugly Cry. Tell me that you love my better side. Show you my beautiful eyes. Never my ugly cry. So I don't have to worry when you leave without goodbye. It's going to be one of up to six songs that will be up for consideration for Eurovision. Uh, she did one of the writing camps this past summer and uh, yeah, has a lot of tracks in progress. Yeah, it, it seems like Bulgaria is just kind of adopting this approach of being like, all right, well, let's just kind of float these ideas and see what the audience response is. Oh, and... oh yeah, just like some very quiet focus grouping and I'm here for it. Just mm-hmm. like, do you guys like this? To answer that question, yes. Yes, I do. This is exactly Mike Nip. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, I have not listened to it yet because as soon as they said that this was one of six songs, I'm like, I would like a second one before I listen to the first one because I'm oh. weird like that. Oh, interesting. The song's available on YouTube. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, it's also available on Spotify. And that means... It's the first song that is part of Eurovision selection season. Plus, there are some of the songs from FIK that uh, have started trickling onto Spotify. So, I've started putting together our <laughs> mega playlist. That we get to make that we get to make the playlist. Oh, I love this! Really, this is my favorite project that comes out of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, well, and then the the thing I like about Bulgaria's strategy is that Cyprus is like real excited right now. They're like, we have a song, mm-hmm. and I feel like they were very excited last year. Like, we have a song. Uh, and then their song came out, and it could have maybe used some focus grouping. Mm-hmm. Bulgaria, very smart, realizing that again, not December yet. Let's 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 dip a toe in the water and see what what people think of this. Mm-hmm. And even if this isn't the song that ultimately gets chosen, like it's still keeping her like in the mix. Uh, I was about to say it's very, it's very good great, online yeah. engagement for your artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, if anything, it's just gonna be like, well, you've got a six song LP. 
in the work or ep rather uh in the mm-hmm. work so like a, yeah drop a fun little ep in may i i am definitely buying what victoria is selling so thank you victoria uh- <laughs> mike it's the first of the month and you know what that means yeah, yeah i do <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh yeah, i forget every single month and like every single month on the very last day of the year at 6 p.m mm-hmm. youtube youtube tells me hello yeah. There is a new Sunit video. At this point, I feel like the the little image that YouTube shows you as like the promo for the video just keeps getting creepier. Yeah, as with the other entries in the Freaky Trip to Rotterdam series, there's there, there's a lot going on. Uh, th- this month's entry is a cover of Portugal's Amar Pelos Dois, set with a Father Christmas, Michael Jackson, uh, what, like what are the other Christmas, bingo balls? Face uh, painting, dance break. Oh, weird face morphing things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. yes, yes. <laughs> oh, oh. In hindsight, that the I, in the moment I was just like, this is very weird. Now in hindsight, I'm just like, oh, it all makes sense with the face morphing. Yeah, with yeah. the face and, morphing in the Michael Jackson. Yes, uh, and and there's children, but uh, mm-hmm. and, like one wearing like a Captain America costume or something. It's again a lot of imagery. It's a lot of visuals, and like I feel like. This song in particular, I like that we get more covers of this song because it does prove to me that, like, regardless of singer, it's a very beautiful song that Mm -hmm. I think is a great vocal showcase for Mm -hmm. for many singers. But also, like, the whole point of, like, the performance of this song was, like, you don't need all these fancy lights. You don't need all these things in your performance. It can just be a beautiful song. Yep. And I feel like no one told Sunit's creative partner on these videos that because I feel like we got, like, more things than we have gotten in recent videos. Yeah, but I will say, I feel like this is one of the more cohesive entries in the series. Like, it was it was all kind of creepy, but it's like this sort of Baroque Christmas storytelling. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Like, it, it it didn't feel as jarring in the sense of being like, oh, what what's going on here? Like, there was a flow to it, um, ex- except for the part where she, like, turns into god like is she god or jesus or both or we have a link to the video yeah Uh, we have a link to the video Uh, (laughs) someone please explain the video to us someone please someone please explain what that i think that's what it is for me is that like i feel like they're very confident that their concepts are coming across to everyone and i'm just like no please make it explicit in the video description what is going on yeah i'm confused yeah, um, I, I and it's also just kind of reminding me of like junior year seminar in like film studies classes where it's just like, oh, well, this is this is what the d- director meant. It's like, OK, sure. Is it? So, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, the, the moment I had with it was like, OK, the song happened and then there was the dance break. And during the dance break, I'm like, this is like how in the 90s Michael Jackson would make music videos that were like 10 minutes long. And like part of it was just him dancing over scatting. Mm-hmm. And then there was the Michael Jackson quote at the end, like, oh, no. Yeah. I'm yeah. just like, oh, okay, this this is exactly what this is supposed to be evoking. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, Sunit. I caught that one. Yeah. Although I did uh, not catch the face morphing until now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, oh. It, it was a good dance break. Like she, she's got Oh, yeah, no, the, the, so, yeah. the dance break was good. Yeah, yeah. So I have no idea what to expect for uh, when the new year rolls around. So um, get hype. 
I guess. So <laughs> I'm going to do what I do every month, which is completely forget that this video series exists until I'm reminded of it. Yep. Yep. It'll be like <laughs> listening to Euphoria at the end of the ESC 250 countdown. And then the sneak video drops. Uh, yeah, and it's I, also I've, going to be Euphoria. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it probably will be. Honestly, it probably will be. It, Mm, okay you heard it yeah. here first might cut this out if it's wrong okay no. <laughs> don't think i won't retroactively uh mm -hmm. correct the record so uh <laughs> episode 99b the version where we erased the pit where we said that sneet was going to be mm -hmm. singing euphoria yep yep so uh elsewhere in selections this is just sort of like a quick yes or no is this person from eurovision 2020 going to participate in eurovision 2021 at all mm -hmm. croatia Demir will not be there. He did not have a song that he liked for Dora, so he will not be in Dora. Hmm. I think he'll be back at some. He'll be point. back. Yes, like he's 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 won a lot of these competitions, and uh, I don't think he'll be a stranger to this. Obviously, if he came back with a song, I feel like he would do do well. But I like that he's being like, I don't have something that's up to my standard. Mm -hmm. Yes, and I could see him being an internal selection at some point mm -hmm. uh, if mm -hmm. Croatia goes back to that. So exactly. Uh, similarly, Finland Axel will not be in eurovision 2021 he did not submit an entry to umk uh apparently he considered it but decided not to especially given how uncertain 2021 is at the moment uh and also was not all that comfortable with the idea of a fast pass even if it were author offered so there's that yeah i'm i'm really disappointed i feel like he got a really raw deal um because mm -hmm. and like i say that as somebody as one of the only people i think who liked his song <laughs> oh it, but, it, it it i it grew on me this year yeah yeah and i think he would have been so, he both he and demir would have really benefited from uh like the pre-party season and the lead up to eurovision where people would have the opportunity to uh kind of warm up to them like really engage with their song and like just given the timing of everything nobody had that chance and mm -hmm. yeah um so i hope i hope we see axel at some point because he's got a good set of pipes so mm -hmm. yeah over in lithuania uh the group announced that they will be using their fast pass so they <laughs> yes <laughs> yes uh, finally somebody's using one um and yes yeah, so they will be part of the pabandum is now final uh still kind of figuring out what the details of that will be uh they're still working through submissions and stuff for the process and uh there's not even a clear sense of how many entries there will be what the full process is but uh, the program should get started sometime around january 16th it may be announcing the artists on the 16th and then going into weekly shows they're not even really sure how many shows there are going to be, uh, but I, I think they're still trying to stick to the format that they were using last year. And this is not a backdoor to going back to the marathon days because, no, we like Pabondum is now. Please stick with that. <laughs> please, please stick with Pabondum is now. I'm I am so hype about getting to watch Pabondum is now and then watch five minutes of a Melissa McCarthy movie translated into Lithuanian mm -hmm. this yes. January. <laughs> Uh, nature is healing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, let's see. And then uh, in terms of other selection processes, uh, France uh, has some more details about their process. C'est vous que décidez. They are planning on having it be a one-night national final that'll be held sometime in January. Uh, still waiting to hear what the date will be on that one. But uh, they're expecting there to be 12 songs competing 
uh, for their slot at Eurovision. And congrats to France, uh, who won Junior Eurovision this past weekend. Uh, ben, Congratulations watch- to France. Yay. Uh, did you watch any Junior Eurovision? After learning that they had won via Twitter, I watched one minute and 10 seconds of their song. And that was enough for me. Congratulations, France. All right. Uh- <laughs> like, like, it's, like, and like, that's not, nothing against that song. Uh, it's just my, not my flavor of pop music. Mm-hmm. It is It is very much a junior Eurovision song. Again, congratulations, France. All right. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> your, one, like... your one minute, 10 seconds is 70 seconds more than I uh, watched of junior Eurovision. So <laughs> this is not a junior Eurovision podcast. <laughs> just... <laughs> this is, you, you have many choices in your Eurovision podcast selection. We thank you for choosing ours, but also we will not be talking about junior Eurovision. Yes. No. <laughs> Norway. Norway at this point, I believe, is just trolling me specifically as the person who made a <laughs> who made a PowerPoint presentation about their selection process this year for like a fun early in the pandemic like variety show. Yeah. <laughs> where I explained to an audience that mostly did not know what Eurovision or or Melody Grand Prix were, uh, what what that was and how things kind of went sideways this year. Norway is, as we have discussed, is using kind of the same general format as last year except they have now detailed things that's somehow more complicated i'm very concerned mike <sighs> yeah i i yeah just the whole trolling uh, thing uh <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah because like just on my big bulletin board with like pieces of paper and red string connecting things to try and figure this out um there are 12 finalists in the finals six auto qualifiers and 20 contenders which feels very similar to last year, except somehow more, because there are more auto qualifiers now. Uh, yeah, there are more, more everything because there were ten last time, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. So one more auto qualifier, and they're adding in a second chance round, so there will be an additional. Uh, okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because there are five. There are five rounds of four, which we had this year, plus a mm. second chance round to give us six qualifiers total, yeah. and giving us twelve finalists overall. Yes. The second chance round will be Sunday, February 14th, which means we can extrapolate the rest of the schedule from that. Yep. Yeah. The weekend of the 13th will just be a very full Norwegian weekend. Um, I'm hoping that's not a super Saturday. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, it yeah. might be, though. But... It might be. It might be. I w- the, the thing that I would love them to drop is, okay, what is the backup plan for if online voting goes bad this year? You know, I have to wonder if maybe that is part of the reason that they've tweaked the format a little bit, because they're also in, uh, debuting two of the auto qualifiers on the first show. So uh, it may because they're doing the same thing that they did uh, this year, where it was they're announcing who's competing and the one auto qualifier on Monday, releasing all of the tracks and then uh, having the show on Saturday and then repeating that process so perhaps having the extra auto qualifier in there is going to allow them a little bit of time or a little bit of breathing room maybe for the initial round of voting and then i don't know figuring things out as they go kind of like how they did this year and Mm -hmm. yeah um but yeah hopefully uh like they've learned a lot uh in the Mm -hmm. last 12 months so (laughs) (laughs) and then uh there's a whole bunch of stuff coming up this week Sweden is announcing the artists for Melfest. Uh, so this episode's dropping on Tuesday. So by the time this ends up in your pod feed, uh, should know the first nine. Uh, they'll do nine on Tuesday, nine on Wednesday, and then the remaining 10 on Thursday. Song details will trickle out uh, as they do with Melfest. But 
Um, yeah, so that's a major thing to look forward to. Scandy Pop's been uh, all over it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> they are very hype, and so am mm-hmm. I. Uh, Estonia's songs are going to be revealed on Estee Lyle 2021 on Saturday, December 5th. So this Saturday, we will have more knowledge about the Estonian songs, which this was looking like it was going to be like a, a bunch of returning previous Eurovision people. So I'm very excited to see what they have cooked up this year. I do, too. And like they do such a good job on their videos. Like, it's um, yeah, they're all such high quality. And yeah, I'm not sure if this special is going to be airing all the videos or if it's just going to be little clips and then uh, telling everybody to go to YouTube. I mean, go to YouTube. That's where they will live. But uh, (laughs) yeah, it's cool that there's just going to be like something to watch this weekend. Uh, So that should be need to double check on the time. But I think that's uh, around 245 Eastern on uh, Saturday. So. Yeah, and then Festival of Yukonga is still waiting on when their actual dates are going to be, but they're targeting December 17th through 26th, weather permitting. Uh, but the, the stage is mostly built uh, outside uh, in Tirana. So, um, yeah, that's something to look forward to. And we'll be getting into like our picks for FIK uh, in the next episode. Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. And we have it a turns lot out. More to discuss. Yeah. Because <laughs> it turns out there's a. <laughs> It turns out the answer to the, the question of what's Albania's whole deal is slightly more complicated than, I mean, I, I expected it to be complicated, but. Yeah, we were planning this episode before like all of this news dropped. And really what I wanted to do was just kind of pay, we pay so much attention to Albania in December because usually FIK is the only Eurovision thing that's happening. And yeah, so that, that all goes down in December and then we don't really hear from Albania again until if they release an English version of their track or do any sort of remastering of their track. Uh, but yeah, like from December to March, they're usually pretty quiet. And then uh, they may be at the pre-parties. But yeah, there's just not too much to talk about. So I, I kind of feel like Albania gets kind of swept under the rug a lot of mm-hmm. the time. Um, and just given how last year's fik was particularly controversial and again that may just be uh part part of that controversy is just it was the only thing that was happening so everybody was talking Mm -hmm. about it so we're just like ooh, controversy yes uh but one one of the uh other controversial aspects that came up were people complaining about a performance uh during i think it was the second semifinal where it was uh somebody who competed at uh the 11th uh fik um, just being like, oh, we just have two more regular performances to get through. Why are there all of these special things? And then the ESC Albania account uh, scolding people on Twitter being like, no, FIK's legacy is really important. A lot of people were persecuted after that contest. And I was just like, <laughs> excuse me? And, um, I love I love moments of Twitter like that where it's just like, first, first of all, how dare you? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was just like, wait, I... Like I started Googling immediately after reading that. And yeah, I got really interested in what was going on in the Festival of Congress that and I And I have very strategically tried to leave myself in the dark for the inevitable episode where you get to explain things to me. Right. So uh, that's this episode. Um, so I guess that's a good place to start. Ben, what do you know about Albania? Okay. So I, I guess within the context of of the the Eurovision Song Contest. I know that they are... My brain just, like, lit up with, like, five different things at once, and I'm trying to sort them into an order. Yeah. (laughs) In general, with Albania, I know that they are sort of part of Eastern Europe. 
they're they're sort of like that part of things, but they were not like a former SSR. Correct. Um, I tend to lump them in there, but they 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 are not that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Eurovision wise, I know that like they, they tend to be one of the nations that I feel like strongly follow their own drumbeat. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, I, I have a, I have a hunch that's probably connected to to Festival Econcus because there are sometimes where like I'm like it, it or when I say that they follow their own drumbeat, I feel like that's just a very nice way of saying that oftentimes they are not a country whose whose song I enjoy. Mm. Or or where it is where I can appreciate it on like artistic merits, but also it's just not for me. Okay, I I, th- I think that's a fair assessment. Um, any anything else? Um, no. Okay. Uh, <laughs> which <laughs> I mean, we'll get into it. Knowledge about Albania, uh, at least from an American context, I think is uh, like a lack of knowledge of it is not all that surprising. Um, so. Uh, Albania is located on the west side of the Balkan Peninsula. It's kind of nestled among Greece, North Macedonia, Montenegro, Kosovo. Uh, It's right across from uh, Italy where the Adriatic meets the Ionian Sea. So if you like imagine the boot of Italy and where the heel of that boot is, Mm -hmm. Albania is on the other side of the water from there. Okay. Um, So like geographically speaking, really nice piece of real estate. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Everybody knows that that's a really nice piece of real estate. So it is prime target for conquering. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's been a major part of Albania's history where it's just getting absorbed. It's either getting absorbed into some form of empire or liberating itself, struggling to recover from that liberation and being vulnerable to another uh, conquest, basically. So um yeah like in the, in the 20th century it was part of the ottoman empire uh it achieved independence uh after world war one uh but it was just really unstable at that point and then got uh invaded by uh italy and the fascists during uh the lead up to world war ii and yeah so it's just been this very unfortunate cycle during world war ii the communist party in uh, albania was one of the major sources of resistance in the European theater. Um, and, and this was the case in a number of areas that uh, where the Communist Party was able to provide the resistance to the German forces. And because of that, once uh, the war ended, the communists were in a uh, strong position to uh, continue being in power. And uh, so I think that's probably where the SSR connection is coming in uh, because even though Albania was not an SSR, it was very closely aligned with uh, the USSR, okay. uh, particularly uh, the Albania's leader Enver Hoxha, who was a huge fan of Stalin. Like they were both very hardcore Marxists. And uh, Enver Hoxha, he led the uh, the Albania's Communist Party during World War II. He assumed the governmental leadership after the war, uh, and. By aligning with the USSR, they received a whole bunch of aid uh, during the recovery time up until Stalin's death in 1953. Now, with Albania being right by Yugoslavia, Yugoslavia didn't fully line up with uh, Stalin. Like they, right. uh, they were also communist, but they were just like, hey, Stalinism's incredibly harsh and incredibly brutal. Like, like the song 1944, like 
that's about Stalinism Mm -hmm. and the horrors of that regime. Even though Albania and Yugoslavia are neighbors, they were not friendly neighbors during that time. And after uh, Stalin died in 1953 and Khrushchev took over and kind of started pulling back from some of the more severe Stalinist policies, Hoxha was not a fan of that at all. So, like, friendship ended with USSR. Now China (laughs) is my best friend. Now China Uh, is my friend. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Because Mao Zedong, uh, who was the leader in China at the time, he was also very stalinist in his approach so uh they they got along great yay um (laughs) yeah and that was up until chairman mao died in 1976 so uh but again that was a source of financial support for albania during that time so that's just kind of setting up a little bit of the context of what's going on (laughs) In terms of broadcasting uh, in Albania, uh, I managed to find this one paper by uh, Idrit Idrizi, who is uh, a professor, I believe he's in, uh, based in Germany. Uh, and it was a paper called uh, Magic Apparatus and Window to the Foreign World, the Impacts of Television and Foreign Broadcasts on Society and State-Society Relations in Socialist Albania. Uh, so in this paper, just kind of talking about the history of television in Albania and how difficult it is to assemble an historical record during this time, uh, just because like being a particularly Stalinistic regime. Oh, and... yeah. Like that, that really affects your, your, your history. Yeah. And just really self-enforced isolation at this point. Mm-hmm. Like it's record keeping is going to be dubious at best and it just relies so much on oral history and you need to find people who are willing to talk in providing oral histories so uh yes uh mike have you read the book uh say nothing i have not that has nothing to do with albania that has everything to do with the the ira and ireland in the 80s Mm. uh it is fascinating but a a huge part of the book is is oral history and uh boston university comes into play because they had an a, a massive oral history archive that was largely recorded under the promise that essentially uh the the various pieces of it would not go live until the people who would contribute to it had died oh wow just wow. because yeah uh spoiler alert some of it got released before then yeah, I mean, this, this this is the kind of environment that Albania is dealing with in like for a good chunk of the 20th century. So uh, but getting getting back to the uh, television broadcasting, uh, TV was introduced to Albania in 1960. Broadcasts were for about two hours a day, three times a week, uh, and it was mostly in and around Tirana. Consistent broadcasting didn't really start happening until 1971. Color TV didn't arrive until 1981. Uh, and they didn't have like near 100% coverage uh, for television until about 1986. So television's still relatively new uh, compared to other, like compared to like the U.S., where it, it, like U.S. had like about a 40-year head start uh, on television. Okay. To acquire a television, it would be about 10 months of wages. Uh, plus, you had to be approved for purchase by the regime, and you probably needed to have some strings pulled to get that approval, uh, because if anything in your background was suspect or uh, any, in potentially any sort of threat to the regime, you weren't going to get approved for a television. <laughs> no TV for you. Right. From the government side of things, TV was never viewed as an efficient 
propaganda medium. I mean, part of that is just because a lot of people did not have television. Uh, and so the messaging, like you're not just going to get bombarded with ads. There was still propaganda happening, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But since most people are not just kind of lounging around watching TV because that sort of behavior was just not part of the culture, any propaganda that you were going to see on TV was mostly about heroism, self-sacrifice, economizing, really serving the the Stalinist ideal. For the people who did have TV or access to a TV, it was a major source of entertainment, um, particularly sports, and because watching TV was something to do. Like Albania was incredibly poor at this time. It was a very stagnant economy with a very uninspired populace. So there just wasn't a whole there wasn't like a raft of activities to draw from. It's like, all right, I guess just watching TV. Um, but interesting, foreign broadcasts could come in because like airwaves do do not recognize international boundaries. And given where uh Albania is located, they're gonna get like the southern part of Albania is gonna get stuff from Greece and the northern part is gonna get stuff from Yugoslavia and the part along the coast is going to get broadcasts from Italy just because that's how airwaves work. Um, and it wasn't illegal uh, to consume those sort of broadcasts at first. Uh, it did eventually become <laughs> illegal. But then they saw what was on Italian television. Yeah, spoiler. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, was about to say, I said that knowingly, but I'm just thinking of the Veniva Dece sketches from SNL. Hmm. I'm not familiar with those. Okay, it is Bill Hader doing a broad Italian stereotype and also just smoking, like, five cigarettes. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, yeah, so get, getting this all back to uh, the Festival of Congas. Uh, the first contest was held in 19, uh, December 1962. It was held over four nights, and it was on the radio. Uh, again, TV was not really an active medium uh, at that point. A lot of this is Google translated uh, from Albanian, so like this is not going to be a great translation. But uh, according to the RTSH website, which is the broadcaster, uh, uh, they have a whole history page of like each individual contest. Uh, both in music and lyrics, the first festival remains the most courageous and successful attempt of Albanian artistic creativity, uh, which I think is a pretty good logline for what uh, the festival is trying to accomplish. The main purpose of it was a means of providing neutral light music in the general format of a festival kind of like San Remo which had been happening in Italy for a handful of years at this point uh the first winner of this was uh Vase Zella with the song uh Famille e to win the festival 10 more times over the next couple of decades uh, wow yeah there's kind of a reason for that um first festival huge success 1963 no winner is declared uh one of the contestants was persecuted for mispronouncing some of the lyrics and offering a interpretation of the song that the regime did not agree with uh 1964 Again, no winner was declared. Like they only went up to second place uh, because the songs were just not up, to, not up to snuff, uh, according to <laughs> whoever was making those decisions. 
Um, so yeah, by 1965, performers were understandably kind of skittish uh, about participating, and the songs were pretty much vehicles for propaganda at this point. So, like, if, if you're doing the festival, you kind of know what you're signing up for, and it's like, all right, fine. Yeah, not great. Also happening around this time, and granted, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happening. Like this, this I, I should have started this early by saying that this is going to be a rather reductive history because there's just so much interlacing of politics. Uh, even though Eurovision is not a political contest, drink. Oh my goodness, is FIK uh, <laughs> a political song contest? <laughs> so uh, in 1967. Uh, there's a speech that Hoxha, uh gives where he declares his intention to eliminate all religion. This is kind of more a formal declaration of what has been uh, informally enforced during his entire uh, leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like and, religion- and of course the per- the perfect place to to say this is like your light entertainment competition. Yes, uh, this wasn't this was not at FIK. No, this was just oh, okay. This was at okay. I think it is an indication of why it happens around Christmas time. And I wasn't able to find anything to prove this, but it's just, it is an alternate event to what would be happening around December 25th and other religious observances as well. Like, I mean, even though Hanukkah is not like a particularly like high holy day uh, in the Jewish faith, like it's still like a religious celebration and Ramadan could be happening uh, around that time. And it's just kind of like one other step to kind of eliminate the, the presence of any sort of religious celebration. It's, um, it's like, it's like when your office says we're having a winter holiday party in December. Mm hmm. So, so that's kind of the climate that the the contest is happening in at this point. Goes on for a few more years. Nothing, nothing too monumental, at least from uh, what was rep- uh, listed on the website happened uh, in the late '60s. In the early '70s, the regime notices that the youth of Albania are not really motivated in any particular <laughs> way, uh, and so they're kind of trying to experiment with uh, like going against the ultra conservatism that ha- has been kind of the the party line at this point and it goes into what what's known as the liberal intermezzo uh period so just trying to like i don't know hello fellow teens the uh <laughs> <laughs> hello fellow teens um, so they put uh, a new person in charge at uh, RTSH uh, to kind of focus more on entertainment in the airwaves television is now becoming a more usable medium uh the uh contest has its first uh televised version in 1971 uh and now new performers are starting to compete it's i mean part of the reason that Vasizela won so many times was she was one of the few people who entered several times she, she was she was a very frequent entrant exactly yes so uh they're now like just getting some new people uh into the mix and uh they're being a little bit looser on um i don't know micromanaging the aspects of the contest 
that is until the 1972 edition, which was FIK number 11. And Western influence is definitely present in these entries. Uh, so before the episode, Ben, I sent you some links uh, to some of the videos. Uh, there was one yes. of uh, Vasizela's performance. And then there was one for uh, Lindita Theodori's uh, Café Flora Plot Mito. <laughs> I watched both of those that you sent me and like I I had just been about to mention that yeah like having uh, until you got to this is the this is FIK 11 I went oh no um but but like had listened to the first one Vasezella's mm. song I'm like okay this is this is good but it also feels like a lot of sort of mid 50s early 60s music to me where I'm like I was about to say this sounds like my parents but that's very insulting to my parents who were also not that much alive in in that era but like it feels like <laughs> It feels like a different era in music. Mm-hmm. It, it fits like light entertainment, like what yes. I would call light, light, light entertainment is like, this is what I expect from that, where it's pleasing. I think of light entertainment in the same way I think of it as the word humorist and that, mm. well, you're kind of going for it, but I don't think it's funny. Right. Um, compared to Lindita's song, like Lindita's song, I'm like, oh, they're like, they're actually keeping up with, with, with trends. Cause like, it feels very much kind of like late sixties, early seventies. Like, like it has... It has some movement to it. And I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, that song and that performance. And that was the one of the songs that was performed uh, at the most recent FIK, which sparked this whole thing. I mean, like, it, it's a pop song that pops. And mm-hmm. um, again, this is Google translated lyrics. But uh, yeah, the story of the song is about some girls who are hanging out in a flower shop and see some boys there and start flirting with them. And yeah, the regime is not happy about that. They're not happy about a lot of the entries in that year's contest. And the organizers of the contest are declared enemies of the people, uh, which is, yeah, a very serious thing in a Stalinistic repressive regime. Like, yes, (laughs) if you were declared like an enemy of the people, you will either be executed or sent to a labor camp or some other <laughs> or horribly sent to a labor camp punishment. and executed. Yeah, like it. It is bad news, and the person who was put in charge of RTSH was sent to prison. Uh, and uh, in response to what happened, uh, Hoksha said. Uh, The spread of certain vulgar alien tastes in music and art, the adoption of extravagant and ugly fashions, and unpleasant behavior contrary to socialist ethics and the positive traditions of our people, degenerate importations as long hair, extravagant dress, screaming jungle music, coarse language, shameless behavior, and so on. If the influences and manifestations of the bourgeois revisionist way of life are not nipped in the bud, they open the way to the corruption and degeneration of people which are so dangerous to the cause of socialism. So, yeah, that's uh, kind of the new standard. Uh, Yeah, the the liberal intermezzo uh, reached its conclusion in 1973. The San Remo Festival was pretty much considered the symbol of degeneration and eventually consuming foreign broadcasts was going to be criminalized as was 
growing sideburns or wearing blue jeans or wearing a mini skirt or any sort of seductive dress with big sunglasses uh, and singing any sort of foreign songs. At this point, everything about FAK was becoming micromanaged uh, from song content to costuming to how people move about the stage. Like they, they, it was that level of specificity because you do not want to get anywhere off message from what the regime wanted to communicate. And even RTSH called the 1976 festival the most politicized. Yeah, it, it, it's real bad. So mm-hmm. um, with how uh, the 1960s ended with Hoksha declaring his intention to eliminate all religion, around 1976 is when Albania declared itself an atheist state. Like they reworked their constitution and it was officially atheist. So... Yeah, that's uh, part part of the environment uh, not all that long ago. In the 1980s, Albania's in really bad economic shape. Population is miserable, as you might imagine. And Albania doesn't really have any international friends at this point. Like, they've completely iced out Russia. They've iced out Yugoslavia, even though they're next-door neighbors. They've, uh, like, they're... There was already kind of a falling out with China, uh, even before... Uh, Mao Zedong passed mm-hmm. uh, because they were opening up to like the United States and other Western partners. And yeah, like it's like Albania is just in this really rough transition period. Also, Hoksha dies in 1985. Yeah, there's just a lot of in- internal turmoil. Um, FIK is kind of coming out of this as like not as politicized as before. And ordinary citizens are now starting to buy TVs. Like they're okay. And, and like even though international broadcasts were technically criminalized, they're like it was really difficult to enforce because again, airwaves don't really acknowledge don't don't boundaries. acknowledge the fact that say an inspector passed by a house and saw a antenna pointed toward a foreign neighbor, like the person inside would be like, oh yeah, the wind must have done that. I'll I'll, I'll get that fixed. And yeah, uh, so it was in, enforcement of absorbing international content was just not not present so there was still this window to the outside world that was available censorship is still in place but artists at this point aren't being persecuted as frequently and uh in some cases are actually being encouraged by the government to debate ideas publicly uh not necessarily introduce new ideas but debate the ideas that are already there and yeah kind of opening up uh it doesn't seem like there's any relief in sight until uh as we learned in the most recent eurovision again uh eurocat tearing down the berlin wall in november 1989 so yes yeah so berlin wall comes down ussr dissolves other communist countries are also reorganizing their governments. Uh, and Yugoslavia begins to dissolve as well. Um, but there are some internal conflicts there that lead to military combat. And Albania is drawn in because even though uh, Yugoslavia as a whole uh, was not really on friendly terms with Albania, the Kosovo region had, had a lot of uh, crossover with Albania. So, yeah, there was a lot of cooperation there. And... This was like the first bout of optimism that had happened for Albania in decades. Thinking about that Eurovision again, mm-hmm. like the sense, like the sense of optimism, just with so many nations. Mm-hmm. 
realizing that it was not just in CMA, but like almost every song was just about this new moment of togetherness. Yes. Yes. Like that also has me interested to see what next year looks like at the contest. Oh, exactly. Because we have suddenly had another big event that brings Europe together in a way. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. And even though there's still turmoil uh, happening in Albania at this point, like they're no longer in a communist system necessarily. Like they're they're getting election reforms in place. The the economic system, though, is still on very shaky ground. And uh, they ended up in this sort of pyramid scheme setup to try to pay down uh, prior debts. And uh, when that pyramid collapsed, it almost led to a civil war in 1997. On the FIK side of things, they're really starting to open up. Like in 1992, Albanian expats were allowed to compete in the contest for the first time because it was really the first opportunity that people from outside the country could get into the country. And yeah, it, it really was this sort of sense of like, okay, it's safe to come home now. It's also easing into new content that could be in the contest. Like now that there's no longer this Stalinistic regime, like you could have references to God in your song or topics addressing the world outside of Albania and not this. It, it's no longer this propaganda machine of trying to pretend that everything is okay and that it's all about heroism and economizing. Um, and like the 1998 contest was a support mechanism for Kosovo because Kosovo was going through their own internal turmoil at that point. And um, yeah, it was just kind of this opening up period for Albania. By the time the 2000s rolled around, there was much more stability and integ integrating with the rest of Europe seemed to be a major goal of uh, of the country as a whole. Part of that also happened on television where there's now all of these different competition formats that are show that are airing on tv so fik is no longer the only game in town there are other music festivals so now you have all of these like, music competitions and the idea of eurovision which is something that was viewable during uh the 70s and 80s uh like by way of Yugoslavia or by way of Greece or by way of Italy. And in 2001, they start floating the idea of, oh, maybe Albania should be competing at Eurovision. Uh, doesn't really come to fruition until 2004, where the winner of FIK 2003 would go on to represent Albania for the first time. Uh, that performance was uh, Angeza Shahini uh, with her song, The Image of finished in seventh place as i said at the top is that albania tends to be a flavor of thing that is not always my flavor of thing there were moments of that song that i enjoyed but i feel like much like sunit's song this year it was a journey yeah i like i'm really fascinated by this one partly because like i'm surprised that their first entry was in english and i think part of that yes. was like 2004 like that was during the era where it's like well everybody should sing in english because it's all it's gonna be all televote anyway and from a gameplay standpoint, it totally makes sense. There was that, and then yeah. also the mix of that song felt weirdly off to me. 
in yes. that in that like the the instrumental was almost louder than the singer and i was tr- like straining to hear her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and granted the video that i sent you was the actual eurovision performance so I, that could have been just a a product of the 2004 contest uh rather than like the studio track oh but totally albania has been welcome to the party albania has entered the chat and mm-hmm. Uh, since then, FIK has been the selection method for Eurovision. Uh, their best finish was in 2012 uh, with Rona uh Sus, uh, which finished in fifth place. Um, and they've made the final nine out of 16 times. And it's been about half Albanian, half English. So um, I, I don't think the language aspect is necessarily a deal breaker. Most of their entries have kind of finished mid-table like either 16th or 17th place for the ones that have made it to the final like they have Mm -hmm. they have missed the final a few times but it's a pretty wild history that just really kind of it's fascinating to me just how much of what i think gets associated with albania's identity at eurovision is locked up in this very complicated and tragic history And it's really built up my appreciation, particularly for their 2019 entry, which was about like asking people to come home to Albania and just be like, yes, it like it is time to come home. And just like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's like it's been almost 30 years since uh, since things have changed. And like, I'm I'm so looking forward to FIK this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, after, and and just like thinking, uh, thinking of recent entries, like the stuff that has resonated with me more from Albania has been like, I really loved uh, Mall from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. That is much more my speed when it comes to Albania. Seuss, I think now understanding more of Albania's history, I appreciate that performance more. Mm-hmm. Even though I rewatched that video because you sent it to me and I still like that. That is sort of like a a prime example of this is not for me. And admittedly, I have not looked at the lyrical content of what she's singing about. Like, Mm -hmm. but like if, but it feels in the same vein as something like a 1944 to me in that this is, this is singing from a place of, of historical pain. Yes. I think it's historical pain. And I believe that was the year where there was a really tragic bus crash that happened during Eurovision week in Albania. So I think just the um, just that part of the tragedy did feed into the it was either the semifinal performance or or that final performance. But um, I know I I really appreciate that entry because she just sings the hell out of it. But mm-hmm. um, she's yeah, like that yeah. is a very difficult song. particularly thinking of just how controversial the 20 well we keep calling it controversial i don't know if it necessarily was like it it seems like that they're like still really trying to like ingratiate with mm-hmm. it, with the rest of Europe and like having a jury that is more international folks than Albanians like that that seemed like an overstep mm-hmm. and i but i can also understand like why something like metana would be a divisive entry because like even though 
it's been 30 years since like the wall came down, there are a lot of people who've lived through the really tough times. And I think I think there's it there's still going to be that divide of being used to how how FIK was and where FIK can go. And mm-hmm. yeah, it I'm not articulating this this part particularly well. Right, but but, but like yeah, just sort of like wanting to be a more open nation and maybe moving the slider a little bit too far mm-hmm. in in the direction of of a worldliness that does not necessarily that the the rest of the nations may be not necessarily ready to go with because yeah because like I was thinking about what I know about Albania and I remember this this decision last year being controversial at the time and not you know not making sense to me because I didn't have the 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 background on it mm-hmm. but yeah I can see how how that would feed how suddenly having three out of the five judges at at FIK be non Albanian mm-hmm. yeah it was just fascinating to. Like really dig into this uh and like mm-hmm. i said this is very pared down like i did not get into like all of the like what is stalinism let's talk about all the different flavors <laughs> of communism and just like just how fik it's a good entry point into exploring all of the complications of albania's recent history surprisingly recent that's the thing like there are a lot of a lot of people who had to experience this firsthand and that that's going to take a long time to heal and i think one of the things that i'm most excited about with albania for the 2021 contest is like this is i i think the open up theme they are particularly well positioned to embrace that like even though like the the slogan for the contest is very rarely uh, implemented in, uh, into like the song selections. Like there weren't a whole bunch of all aboard entries or like celebrate diversity was uh, a bizarre, <laughs> a, a bizarre <laughs> category for 2017. But uh, yeah, I, I think open up, like, I mean, Albania is still opening is, up and I think they can Al- yeah. this. And... Just, just thinking of when when you mentioned that like they officially declared that they were an atheist state i'm just like oh they're they're in like their angsty teen years mm-hmm. and like they are they are now sort of opening up and figuring out who they are as a country yeah yeah and um and also with all of the organizational stuff that has happened like this is the first time possibly ever that like albania knows what semifinal they're in before fik they know like if if they wanted to play next year strategically or like as an actual game, like they're in a position to do that. I'm very excited for selection season to get started. Albania has not always been my taste, and and like this batch of entries, like there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Something to look forward to, uh, and anything else you'd like to know about Albania at this time? I probably will not have the answers for it. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the most ridiculous thing I could ask, knowing that you do not have the answers. Ah. Um, but I will I will leave it there. Okay. Well, then that's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thank you for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Michael Cohn, that's me, and Ben Smith. That's me. Comments, questions, feedback, memes, they can all be sent to us at EuroWhatPodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at EuroWhat. You can subscribe to the Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are sold. Uh, when you subscribe, leave us a review, let us know how we're doing, and help other Eurovision fans find us. Uh, next time on the Euro What, we're celebrating 100 episodes! Air horn noise! Pew, 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 pew. Woo! 
Uh, and we're going to make sense of what's new in 